Hey, what's up guys? Shane here and you are listening to The Shane Godlyman Show. This is episode number 21 and in today's episode I am joined by Josh Halbert. Josh is a super interesting guy, he's a personal trainer from Baltimore, uh, works with a massive variety of people from NFL athletes to senior citizens, uh, has done loads of different courses and worked with all kinds of different mentors and different people and uh, has a really interesting way of looking at things and thinking about things. So uh, I was super excited to sit down with Josh and have this conversation. So uh, we talked about a wide variety of things. Uh, many of which you will hear shortly. So this is episode number 21 with Josh Halbert. Here we go. Here we go. All right, and we're into it. So I'm joined today by the awesome Josh Halbert, aka Get Chimpy, if you happen to know people by Instagram names. Josh, thanks for joining me again on the podcast. How are you doing, man? Good, Shane. I'm, I'm real good. Um, I'm excited that we uh, we got another chance to do this. Um the first time, the first conversation was really good, but I feel like the second one's gonna even uh, gonna be even better, and um, doing well. Yes, all new endeavors are never without mishaps. So uh, yeah, I had Josh on the line last week, and we got about an hour into our conversation, I think, or just shy of an hour, and uh, something went wrong on my end and corrupted the file and couldn't save. So yeah, lost lost like an hour of conversation, but it's all good because we managed to get it. We managed to get it back. So yeah, like I said, we're gonna. Have a, another another cool conversation so um for people that are listening that haven't come across you before could you just give people a little bit of context sort of who you are what you do what kind of people you work with uh, where you're at and yeah just that little bio thing awesome the whole little bio thing yeah. um so uh you know um people i want to get this question sometimes it's like how i don't want to sound overly pretentious but i also want to be able to speak like honestly about what I feel I do. Um, you know, I'm a personal trainer slash, uh, coach. Um, I work with people, not just with when it comes to working with their bodies, but I try, I find myself making more changes towards habit lifestyle and overall just intention. Um, I work out of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I train anywhere from, uh, four or five year old kids to NFL athletes, to desk jockeys, to um, people that uh, who are retired, older people, um, pretty much the whole gamut of, of, of people. And um, I've been doing that about six or seven years now. Um, and uh, we, we go over a whole host of things. Generally, it's, it's a lot of it's a principle-based approach. So it's trying to take the person through um, uh, several different assessments and uh, as far as lifestyle, movement, nutrition, sleep, and trying to, trying to get the entire person's life like in my head and then looking at and comparing that to whatever their goals are and when what I feel they need and, and also how receptive they are to being able um, to make big or, or small changes depending on the person. So um, it's a very dynamic kind of approach. I think most trainers who are, who, who are most higher level trainers will tell you something similar about it depends on what comes in and, and, um, and what the person is willing to do and very situational. So I'm very, very lucky that I get to do that because um it really comes from extension of my own pursuit of trying to optimize myself. And then I, I can kind of carry that down to what I learned about myself to transfer into other people and what, how I learn other people, how I uh, learn about um, people responding. I can also get an effect with that when it comes to training myself. So it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool gig. Yeah, man, definitely. So 
was it always your goal to have such a wide and diverse spectrum of people to work with? Because quite a lot of people coming into uh, personal training and fitness and things like that, you, you tend to be uh, steered towards the idea of niching, right? You, you pick a you pick sort of mm. one thing that you specialize in, but you know that was that was one thing that I've I always noticed about you since I started following you is there's there's it, that you do a lot of different types of things and like you say you you work with a, a massively broad range of people. Was that on purpose? Has, has that just kind of come about because you're sort of doing your thing? Mm. That's a good question. Um, you know, now that I think about it, uh, I when I first started training uh, uh, people about six or seven years ago, I think I wanted to just become like this like super well-renowned like mixed martial artist strength and conditioning coach right that that was my thing because I, I grew up in martial arts um have a uh pretty long background of just having like physical sports and being part of any kind of like physical culture uh so that's kind of that was my kind of transition but very you know honestly put uh most martial arts don't make money so therefore like i won't make any money right so it was very hard especially starting out to to come from that place because, uh, and I, I, you know, I love, I love watching, um, MMA evolve and I feel like, uh, it doesn't have as much of a pedigree and background as some of the higher sports like, uh, football or, or basketball or a lot of the sports where the money is. So they don't have nearly as much training techniques behind them and a rich history of, of development. A lot of it's kind of coincided with this, and we can get into this later, but this, uh, masochistic culture of fitness where you're going to beat yourself up and, and punish yourself and hopefully you'll be ready to show up on, on fight night. Um, so that was kind of my, uh, initial motivation and where I really wanted to target, but, uh, also being a, uh, a young and, and fresh trainer, um, it's really about building up your book, you know, particularly if you're trying to get most of your people, like if you're not working at a, um, a big global gym where, uh, there's a ton of traffic and clients are handed to you, you end up just working with whoever you can, uh, whatever, whoever you can get. And uh, I think it gave me advantages. I, I managed to have a couple good connections with some, uh, sport doctors and, uh, did get, uh, started training. Several like uh, uh, NFL athletes, a couple years into my training, and did uh, good work with them. That they, you know, they they uh, referred more people. And at the same time, I was also training like average day people. Um, and I think just having that, having a really sound principle approach, uh, allows you to train many different types of people. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. How much of what you do with an elite level athlete, someone like an NFL athlete, how much of that can translate to what you do with, you know, like you say, an, an average person in terms of your kind of coaching principles? Obviously, there's always the element of, you know, you work with the person in front of you, so you're optimizing certain elements of, of your coaching principles to, you know, um, optimize their results. But yeah, how much generally speaking of, of your kind of coaching philosophy can apply to both the elite end of the athlete spectrum and then the more air quote average person? Mm. I would say, uh, especially with the type of training, I, I, I find myself doing more, uh, a very large percentage uh, apply to both. I, I think um, when you look at it, uh, we're all human beings. We're bipedal primates, and we have to deal with gravity, right? And um, if you kind of start from more of an evolutionary perspective and understanding that, then it becomes about, okay, so, like, what is the best way we can optimize this person? Like, whether, I mean, NFL athletes, they, they don't get sleep just like regular people don't get sleep, you know? Um, so uh, looking at something like that, from a movement perspective, you want to make sure that uh, whatever you're asking these people, asking uh, the person to do, they're prepared to do it or they're on the path to being prepared 
by doing that. So what I mean is like um, for somebody who is, let's say, an NFL lineman, if they have hip, knee or ankle issues and they actually have pain in certain ranges of motion, say, you know, a certain percentage of knee flexion, they have knee pain and their job requires them to be in that amount of knee flexion for most of their uh, for what they're doing on the field, then that's an issue. We need to be able to clear that. Right. And the same thing, if somebody has a, a certain same person, same or uh, different person, but in the sense they have the same kind of joint issue going on there, they have a certain um, amount of pain um, and whatever they're required of their life. If, it, if it's a garbage person or if it's if it's you know sitting at a desk, they, they're required to sit in a certain position or be in a certain position and it's very painful for them. They have to we have to clear that position. Right. So I, I find that um, a lot of what we do is I, it's really from a movement quality standpoint. Okay. And like I always tell my athletes, like I can't make you a better football player. I can make you a better athlete, which will make you a better football player. Right. So like I don't get into the specifics of uh, uh, very sports specific NFL, like wide receiver based drills for wide receivers. Instead, I, I just try to make sure that the receivers can uh, move better, be faster and uh, recover better so that they can perform better. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I guess especially with those kind of athletes as well, you, you know, they're doing mountains of sports specific stuff every day pretty much in their you know training with their teams and all that kind of stuff so there's probably not as much need for you to focus on that stuff specifically as well well as for those guys anyway you know um uh just thinking off that too it's like well, i had one i had uh one uh nfl uh, he was a running back um was a couple of years ago but he uh he had a severe injury. He broke his forearm landing on, on the ball and he was out for several months. I mean, he was out for the rest of the season. And then, uh, we started working together, uh, for a couple of sessions and, you know, he had very, very, his, his rehab wasn't great. He had very poor movement. And, um, he was worried about like losing speed. He's like, Oh, like I, I need to do, I need to go to a speed camp because, um, uh, because I, I want to make sure I get quicker. I want to get quicker. And, you know, I explained this to him, um, and uh, ultimately, he ended up did go into a speed camp, but he didn't take care of a lot of his what he what was required of him, and he ended up uh, retiring several several games into the next season. But if you're if you this is what it comes to like looking at the situation is like if you're an NFL athlete, if you've made it to the NFL and you're 26, 28, 30 years old, uh, you've done enough speed stuff, <laughs> right? You've done probably two decades of cone drills and sprints and cutting and plays. And uh, if you've gone through any kind of serious like college program, you've done probably decades of squatting <laughs> and, and, and powerlifting or any kind of Olympic lifting, all that kind of stuff. So your body is already so highly tuned that um, and it, typically it's like an inverse relationship. The more you do a skill, the less you get from that skill because you're getting better at that skill. So there's there's almost diminishing returns. What you need to work on in this case is like you need to work on your movement quality because your movement quality is what's going to help you. A, be able to train better and withstand the training, but also to be able to stand your sport. Um, if you can't touch your toes, or you can't make a decent circle with your shoulders against the wall, like how the hell are you going to stay together? It's not about running faster and try to gain a step, you know, and finding the right coach to yell at you and motivate you enough to run to, to push through that hurdle drill faster. Like that's not what's going to happen. That's not what, that's not what you need. It's not the best place, in my opinion, to place uh, most of your efforts. Like you should maintain that and you're not going to forget how to sprint. Right. Because you've gone like three weeks without doing a cone drill, like you need, you need to get some, you need to get yourself some ankles, some knees, some hips, some, a spine, several shoulders, elbows, and wrists. Because right now you don't have any of those because you've been tackled by 300 plus people or 300 plus linemen um, for like two years, 
two decades at least. You know, it's 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 when you start thinking about it, you start getting to the root of all that. It's like you have to look at people's history. You have to look at the person. It's not just about what's on their movement screen. It's also like what they've been dealing with, how how much training they've been doing. So um, I find as I'm getting older and more mature as a coach, it's it's like really trying to ask the right questions to get the best information to determine what this person needs in the exact moment that you're seeing them. Yeah, definitely. That's a really interesting way to put it as well. I'm, I'm definitely in agreement with the question thing. I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about making inquiries into the people that they're working with. It's kind of like you look you look at it and then you prescribe stuff and it's kind of like you give commands, you give like or, or you prescribe this like pieces of information whereas like you say, the more that you can kind of start to question and dig and get that person thinking along the same kind of lines as you're thinking rather than just kind of giving them stuff to do, it, it kind of, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot more of a richer experience, I guess. So on, on that note, when you're, when you, you know, you're talking about the kind of the evolution of your, of your coaching as you've got a bit older and you just, just been doing it longer, when you think about where you're at now and where you started, how how different do you think your coaching style is or your coaching philosophy is now to when it started and what do you think were would be like the the main difference or differences that you that you see mm, that's a good point okay um i i think when i first started out um i was really fortunate to have some good mentors um people that were already in a, a movement based paradigm and um I think so that gave me a good template. So I, I, I can say when I first started out um, is like one of my, my first thing was ever was just do no harm. Like just don't hurt the person, right? If you don't hurt the person, you're better off than most of most other trainers, <laughs> right? Because, because people don't think why they're doing things. So I, I'm, uh, I was very fortunate to have good mentors and good teachers for that um, to, to get me at least started in that, in, that, um, in that path. But when I first started training people, I think it was more about getting them to certain golden standards of exercises right uh and uh you know these like artificial i don't mean that in a pretentious way but like these these like rehearsed artificial types of movement like a turkish getup or like a kettlebell swing or a deadlift um i mean they're, they are great movements i have nothing against them but uh, like my i was almost kind of clearing people of maybe some hopefully some movement issues so that i can just rush them to these movements or get them to these movements as safely and as, as sound as i can because like in my head, these were just like gold standards of strength, right? And I think as I've gotten older and I've, and I've learned more and I've taken some really good courses and I've worked with enough people over time, you know, it's an organic evolution. And now it's more about making sure that the person has more movement capability or movement variability, um, more awareness in their body. And if they have, uh, the more variability they have, the more different types of exercises and stresses you can expose them to. So really it's about building the base. Um, and uh, like making sure that their joints work well, making sure they have full range of motion or they're working to getting full range of motion of their joints. And on top of that, making sure that they have like uh, strength and, and tissue tolerance, meaning they can load and, and be able to build resilience in all of their all of their movement, all of their range of motion. So that's kind of where I've started to shift towards. Um, I hope that's not too vague, if that makes sense. But um, uh, that's where I've started to shift towards, I think, in the last couple of years in my training. Right. OK. Yeah. So. I, I guess previously when you're using say like the Turkish get up or a kettlebell swing or whatever as your um, 
sort of vetting system or whatever your 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 system mm-hmm. of seeing when it, where that person is and their their movement capabilities you're using that as kind of like a milestone to say that they mm-hmm. are capable at whatever certain type of movement a hip hinge or whatever else so mm-hmm. in in the in the initial sense that becomes like an end point so you move towards that once they've got that that's kind of that box ticked is it is the difference now that it's just a continual uh, journey in that same lane? Is it just that we've removed the end goal, or is there more? Is there more to it? Am I misunderstanding what you mean? No, that's great. You know, I think as a uh, to refine um, to kind of get a little deeper into what I'm saying. I think when I when I first started out, I, I was more I was more unaware of the narratives that I would follow. So the narratives being like narratives around exercises or narratives around what people should be doing. You know, hey, you should be doing a, a Turkish get up with half your body weight. That would be a good goal, right? Because I've decided that's a good goal. But like, that's just a narrative I rehearsed in my head and I started following. I think now as I've become older and more mature as a coach, I'm more aware of the, of, of the narratives I tell myself and what other people tell me. And you just start looking at the person as like a meat vehicle, right, <laughs> so okay. to speak, right? You're just like, okay, like, you're like, hey, this person comes in and you take them through a movement screen. And it's like, you know what? It is what it is. Like, you, uh, it's not that I don't care, but I'm like, it makes sense. Like you sit for six, you, you've sit for, uh, for two decades now. Like no wonder you can't bring your hip past 90 degrees, you know, and you're not cleared. You're like, I can't competently like have you probably have you deadlift in a full range of motion because I don't think you would be able to do it without compensating. But the good news is I'm not attached to exercises. I'm just attached to results. So if we have to work our way around those things and actually improve the mobility and try to, uh, I think shifting over to really, really hone in on people's habits you know, and making sure that like I'm not the only exposure to to movement and mindfulness in their body that they get every you know once or twice a week. That is that is the biggest key I think I've switched over. Rather than trying to make like this immaculate workout of like okay we're gonna you know uh, we're gonna start off with carries, planks, and Turkish get ups, which are all great movements and if, if it fits for the person, we also need to talk a little bit about what you're doing when you're not seeing me. You know mm-hmm. what you're what you're doing when nobody's watching. Like trying to change the internal climate inside of you, because if you can move a little bit throughout the day and and be more aware of your body, it's also going to make our sessions better as well, because we're going to be able to get more out of it. So I went from kind of teaching people like these, uh, these set gold standard, uh, movements, so to speak, because that's probably where my education came from when I was certified in like different kettlebell organizations. And I kind of switched over to, um, uh, you know, I haven't really thought about this in a while. This is a, this is a good question. So I started, uh, switching over to, um, teaching people more about, uh, quote, developmental patterns, you know, the narrative like, okay, you should be doing these four or five patterns because, this is, because you don't have them anymore. And this is what we started to do when we were younger. This is how we restored ourselves is this quote developmental sequence. But uh, you, again, that was just, could you quickly just cr- clarify what you mean by the de- uh, de- uh, developmental pattern? Sure. Like, uh, basically that, uh, uh, in a very set pattern that there would be breathing, Right, like first thing you'd ever do is breathing, like diaphragmatic breathing. Okay. Right, and the second thing that you you would really start to work on as as you this is as you're being born, as you the first several years of your life, you start to develop more uh, awareness and more control of your head and spinal column. Right, because you start looking around and you and you and you want to be able to interact with your environment and you're curious with your environment because your brain is growing and it's learning how to connect itself to its body. And then as you go on, you start to eventually develop more postural. Uh, um, uh, postural awareness, you start pushing up against the ground and this is where you start to 
which we talked about last week is where you start to defy gravity, right? You actually start to make a case against gravity and you start to be able to push yourself up against the ground, right? And, st- and develop the posterior chain muscles. And then you start to roll around. Maybe you start to stimulate what's called the vestibular system, which is also known as your inner ear. Um, it's responsible for balance and input and proprioception. And then over time, you start to learn how to crawl, uh, scoot, locomote, and eventually walk and run. And so for a while, I think I was kind of making sure I was trying to take people as like checkboxes through these through these patterns as well, these developmental patterns. Um, and I got good results with that. I, I think uh, people rehearsed these patterns and they got better at these specific patterns. And then as I've gotten older, it's more about kind of getting down to the root issue of like mechanically, how does the body work? Like what is preventing you or what have you lost that probably most human beings should be able to have as far as like a joint perspective, a joint by joint approach. So I kind of, uh, I hope I'm not losing people too much, getting too vague, but I, I went from having more of an emphasis on maybe strength and gold standard movements to having more of an emphasis on like software or what I thought was maybe more nervous system development, um, despite not knowing enough about the nervous system to really be able to say that uh, from a place of authority because I don't study it. Um, like I don't have a formal degree in being like a, you know, a neuroscientist or anything, a neurosurgeon. And now going to a place of like really just trying to make sure I can work on body control and mobility, more of the hardware perspective. Because if you have more availability in your body and your joints and the way you move, you're going to have different types of, uh, you're going to have more solutions to any kind of movement problem. Right. So, so there's not just one, I'm sorry, I was, uh, I'll just finish it up. There's not just like one way to squat. There's many ways to squat. There's an infinite number of ways to squat. So just getting good at squatting in one certain way, it only limits you in squatting well in that certain way. But if your joints and your ability to move uh, your ankle, your knee, and your hip, the more options you have available in this, those individual parts, the more options you have available in doing different types of squatting. Right. Yeah, that makes total sense. So, yeah, that rounded that off nicely from the the movement perspective. There was there was something else I wanted to ask you about. Kind of you alluded to it a little bit in there. We you you talk a lot about uh, that person's I guess awareness of what they're doing and that person's kind. Of, you know, it, it is a is a big part of this transition. Also about the idea of transitioning from being I guess kind of like the gatekeeper of the knowledge, the person that gives the knowledge out and becoming more of a person that helps people embody that knowledge and take it so that they can continue with it and develop with it and add to it I guess with their own kind of flair and flavor I I definitely feel like for me with my development uh, as a as a trainer I I started out there was there was probably more ego um and and probably just more fear in general like oh shit do I know what I'm doing and it and it's that kind of and you, I saw it a lot in the environments that I was in, the sort of quote-unquote commercial gyms, where it's like you want to just kind of be that person that can just kind of bark at people and just has like every piece of knowledge, and you don't really, you don't really share stuff, you or, or you don't share stuff completely. You kind of share stuff in a specific way that you know kind of keeps people coming mm-hmm. back, type of thing. But that you know the way you talk about this whole concept and this whole philosophy, it sounds a lot more like that idea of kind of embodying this foundational knowledge within that person so that they can use it to enrich their experience as a human being is that do you feel like that represents I think that's great what you're saying yeah. yeah i think you summed it up beautifully i mean verse i think it was great what you said about being the gatekeeper versus trying to be the person that you embody the knowledge with because like i would much rather have like train somebody that is into it and like 
comes to me with new stuff that they've discovered, maybe some stuff that I showed them and then they took it to another level and then we can do higher level stuff versus always being like this like fortune cookie type trainer where you just have an answer and like here's what you need to do. You need to do squats, you need to do deadlifts or you need to do pull-ups or you need to do CrossFit or you need to do this. Um, like making like well, what does your body feel? Like why don't we – why don't – every morning do you wake up and do you listen to what you need? You don't know how to do it? Okay, well, here's how you do it. Now I've shown you how to do it. Will you do it? Right. Yeah. That I think you're, I think you're, I think it's hundred percent on like embodying like really getting people to take ownership of, of their body. I think it's probably, um, the biggest shift and learning how to do that and giving people the tools to do that because it's easy for me to say that, you know, being 30 years in on this journey, that is my life to say that, Oh yeah, all you have to do is just embody the knowledge. You certainly have to give people the tools and the perspective to do that. But once they start having that and once you start feeding and, and fertilizing those soils, like will, will they take off with it or is it just too hard? It doesn't make any sense to them. They just want to be told what to do. Yeah. So let's dig into that a little bit then because we've, we've, we've talked about kind of sounding vague where to the point where you kind of, people sort of fall off a little bit. When, when you think about um, assisting someone on the journey of kind of embodying these types of knowledge, it, you know, you think about improving someone's mindfulness or realigning or repositioning however you might term it there a uh, conscious attention and things in in relation to how they move why they move how they act outside of kind of structured fitness sessions etc cetera, etc cetera. how how do you go about improving that aspect of someone's journey how do you improve someone's attention to their movement habits or yeah, I mean, there's a million ways you could term it. That, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, how would you go about improving whatever you would call that bit of stuff? <laughs> mm. Man, that answer could change depending on the day, right? Okay. I, you know, um, that's a great. Well, spitball some stuff at me. Spitball some stuff at you. You know what? Uh, appreciation. That's the thing that comes to mind. Is like having like appreciate the fact that you have a body. Okay. You know, it's like, it's, it, I think gratitude, I think the fact that we're here and like we can get into talks about metaphysics and evolution and it's, it's amazing. But I think just from a simple standpoint of like, you're lucky to be alive and like you have this body that you will, you'll have for the rest of your life. You need to learn how to take care of it and doing so will make you able to uh, enjoy life better. Right. So trying to, trying to instill some version of that and just because it all starts with their why. Like, why are they going to do it? Because Josh is telling me to do it, so that's why I'm going to do it. Well, that's not a great reason to do it, and it certainly isn't a sustainable one. I do – oh, I, you know what? I do the uh, morning mobility that Josh showed me because I feel better and I feel more lucid throughout the day, and I feel like I can make better decisions because my body feels free. Well, that's that's a great place to start from. So I think it's trying to get people to just get on board and just get some momentum in that direction and then ultimately what they feel and the benefit they get out of it is going to have way more power than what I tell them to do. So um, everybody who comes in, it's always – it's once we go beyond assessments, uh, I'm always working with them to try to teach them uh, a morning routine. And I'll spend one or two sessions if it takes uh, or more as because we, we're always going to refer back to that as well. So um, and trying to uh, really explain and empower people with education on why they should be doing that. Really, you got to start with why and connect with people. Like, oh, do you, you know, if you want to be able to play with your kids, like you have to be able to move well. Like this is what you need to do. Wake up five minutes earlier. It's not a big deal. It's five minutes. And the investment you're going to get on that is going to have uh, way more returns throughout the rest of the day. So these are some of the things I would say to people to try and get them to learn how to uh, embody that knowledge we were talking about. Yeah. And I guess uh, patience 
comes as in in sort of hand in hand with that as well because I guess because I feel like the the issue with habit building is not the understanding like it's I mean we don't need to explain how one would go about building a habit right but people we we all generally suck at it so to speak but I feel like for most people myself included is because you run away with this idea of oh, sorry one second yeah um you, you get you you run away with this kind of romantic idea of being able to do just like to, to be able to get loads done in a really short space of time and i feel like with this kind of development that there it requires a level of i guess kind of maturity to be able to really rein it back and just be able to lay down the really simple plain and quite boring steps like day after day after day after day and then to have that that's how something will be eventually become a mm. part of your life but it's like it sounds really obvious and simple but you like i feel like this overreaching is just something that is so easy for all of us to do and then i think as well there's no i you would it's like you we don't really give ourselves any help we're kind of like oh i'm going to create this new habit so i'm like okay i'm going to get up 10 minutes earlier and that's it you just kind of say to yourself i'm going to get up 10 minutes earlier and like, you expect that to just be able to like work through the power of willpower but like i mean i, I, I don't know i've always felt like there's um you can help yourself in a way with different kind of different kind of triggers if you will creating different relationships with different behaviors and different kind of uh, perspectives and all this different stuff i mean when you think about developing good habits with the clients the people that you work with and and specifically habits that stick and when you think about the kind of people that struggle with developing these kind of habits can you think of any examples of ways that you have um help someone develop these kind of habits or something along those kind of do you mean do you understand what mm -hmm. i mean like sure yeah i think um that's that's a good point i you know uh, i'm trying to remember i'm going to butcher and maybe i'll send it to you after this and if you want to put in the show notes but uh, i'm going to butcher this chinese proverb but it was something to the effect of like habits are just cobwebs that eventually become chains and the idea is that like you know any anything can become a habit like so right the reality is your body your you, you right now you're getting better at whatever you're doing at in the current moment right so if you're sitting like a shrimp right and if you're sitting like head forward over time your bones will shift over and you're just going to get better at doing that you get more efficient the same goes the other way so it's not that i don't think we're good at forming habits because we are that's all we do is just form habits particularly because that we from a survival standpoint we need to know what's comfortable so that we can survive right but uh, um, so I think we're I think inherently it's very uh, the, all the hardware and the software is in there to to change and, and become better at it. Ironically, human beings are really, really good at change, but we don't like to do it for the lot of part because we like to find that homeostasis. We like to find that that common ground where you can just, OK, this is what I could do. Then I'm going to chill and because I have this place. But, um, you know, that's when people become stagnant. So. Uh, I'm trying to remember your question now. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, as you're saying that, do you think it might not be that people, uh, humans are good at adapting to a massive spike in change? Because it's like, I feel like when, when we're talking about making a change in someone's lifestyle, it's like, it's this big conscious existential decision. Mm. Whereas when you think about change on a kind of biological level and evolutionary level, it's more, mm. it's things that are triggered and processed and develop and evolve all entirely subconsciously i almost feel like they're kind of 
almost should be considered kind of separate in terms of you know we like you say we we are good at dealing with change in some sense but then in the terms of like you have fairly good tools to be able to deal with both one type of terrain and the opposite in comparison to maybe a lot of other animals but none of us particularly like moving to a new city so it seems like there's kind of different stuff at play there or do you feel like that's inaccurate no i think um you know i it all depends on the person and what kind of mindset they've been developing right so if they're always fearful right and they are they're uh you know it's really hard so we have to give some examples is like okay like i uh i've had clients in the past that are like severe alcoholics Right. And like, so let's just, let's just, because I don't want to get too vague. I'll give you an example. So, so uh, over exercising followed by, uh, you know, three or four drinks a night. And then they wonder why they can't lose weight. I can't do anything like that. And it's like, you know, even with, and when it comes to, and this is beyond, I, I certainly am not a, like a, a counselor when it comes to that, but you know, you, as a, as being a, a trainer and a coach, you, you do kind of play a dynamic role. You become somebody's, uh, somebody's friend, somebody for, uh, to hopefully provide some, some just good advice that's not like overly specific or you just, you know, you just listen to people, right. In addition to training them, but, uh, you have to get to the root change of like the root cause of why they're doing that. And ultimately, I mean, I, I wrote about this the other day is I think most of the time when it comes to those types of changes, it's a lack of self-love, okay. right? So if you want to change, if you want somebody to change for the better, you have to really manage or help manage the relationship they have with themselves because it all just becomes an extension of themselves. Like if you deep down, love yourself and appreciate why you're here. In my mind, I guess some people can argue it, but in my mind, there's no reason why you would like incestuously abuse yourself with alcohol and exercise day in and day out every week. Like you're, you're, you're trying to overcome something, whether it was a childhood trauma or something recent or stress, or it was just, you know what? It was some coping mechanism that you learned, a faulty coping mechanism that you learned, and you've just been doing it. Whatever it is, it's not coming from a place of love. So if you ever, if you really want to get down to the root of habit change, you have to get down to people's why and what their motivation is. And this is where it may take some time. Like most people aren't going to tell you that on the first date, right? But uh, like, I think raising questions, not being judgmental, uh, but also being honest. So it's a it's a blend of being honest, but also being kind with people. Um, you know, you might have to shake them up a little bit so they can actually ask themselves these type of questions like, do I love myself or do I uh, like, why am I doing this? And I, once you get to somebody's why, everything else becomes easier. The how, the what you're supposed to. Here's how I want you to do it. Here's what I want you to do. It's those those two are supported when you have a defined why, when you have a very clearly defined why, a purpose. Yes. It's and that's in- the difference between uh, oh, sorry, that's that, that's the difference between purpose and motivation. Motivation is fleeting. Right. motivation you find because you you were scrolling through your social media feed and there was a cool meme that spoke to you in the moment and you're like oh that's really cool and maybe you get lit up from it for five to 20 minutes and then it goes away and you're looking for the next buzz purpose purpose is like your operating system purpose is is, is what drives you to do everything and it, and it comes from a sense of awareness and, and um i i think that's what really what you have to get down to is people's why or people's purpose yeah, I definitely agree on the purpose. So, but like you say, you people can kind of argue some of this stuff. And as you as you as you mentioned the uh, the alcohol abuse and things, I guess one of the counter arguments to that could probably link to something else that we actually talked about before. Is that I guess some people feel like you know if you're heavy on like drinking or drugs or whatever, it's not necessarily that you 
don't love yourself in total but there's a or a, a part of it would be that there's this kind of separation like we talked about before between self and body physical material mm. body where there's kind of like you know i'm because because i'm drinking for myself right like i feel sad i don't know how to outlet any of this energy i want to kind of numb or distract or energize or whatever it is that i'm trying to do with it, whatever substance or activity i'm dabbling with there's there's a, that I'm doing a, that on some level for myself, but it would seem like a big part of, um, I guess, quantifying that ideology to yourself would be a, a like this kind of dissonance between the idea of what or who you are as yourself and your actual kind of physical body. Um, I mean, so mm-hmm. you brought up something to me last time about the idea of uh, personifying body parts and your mm-hmm. kind of issue with um with the, with this whole split this whole mind body dilemma and stuff so could you i guess maybe briefly just kind of talk about what you sure. mean by personifying human body parts and then we can get into some of that stuff totally yeah i think um uh um and yeah i love i love your help on flushing this out too because i think it's a it's, it can kind of you can kind of get in the weeds with it a little bit because uh so First of all, like when it comes to conversation, it's very important to categorize things, it's to have the ability to categorize things. So when mm-hmm. you're referring to yourself or you're referring to your elbow, obviously your elbow means you. But like if you want to tell me something specific about yourself and you're referring to a specific part of your body, you're going to refer to it, right? However, um, what I mean by the person, what, what I mean by the personification of like of body parts uh, or your body is that a lot of times people place their judgment or they reflect how they feel about themselves on their body as if it's a, a, um, a, uh, a differentiation between the two. So what I mean is, is like, uh, I mean, I hear this all the time. It's like, you know what I had, oh man, I had a bunch of uh, beer and pizza last night and now my body hates me and it's punishing me and I feel like shit. Right. right? So, <laughs> and some of that's tongue in cheek. Right. But also, uh, and this is what we talked about last time is, is the importance of narratives and getting into and being very, mindful about the narrative you're, you're you're telling yourself because when you do that when you say my body hates me you're uh, what you're you're anthropomorphizing uh you're you're trying to attach human qualities um to basically a piece of meat like it's 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 very sticky because you are your body I understand that like it's conscious but like inflammation which is what's happening to your body because you've eaten beer and pizza late at night. Inflammation is not conscious. It's, it's just a, it's a result. It's a it's a bodily experience. It's a reaction to whatever it is that's going inside the body. So your body isn't punishing you. It's not like oh you know what Josh like I hate that you did that. I'm gonna make you feel fat and bloated the next day and you know mess up your gut flora and like, you won't be able to think as clearly. It's like the, all of that is just happening as a response to your choices, right? And I think working with people a lot of the time they get into this narrative that like they're fighting their body. Or that they're being punished, or, or and and it puts them in a victim role, which a takes away the power away, takes their power away from like making choices. But b it also, um, it also puts them uh, one degree separation from their choices, because your body just simply responds to what happens, right? It responds to the amount of sunlight you get, to the amount of stress, to um, any kind of uh, presence of a. Uh, of a pathogen like it, or, or strength training or running or anything like that. It just responds and adapts. It responds and adapts on a micro level from day to day or hour to hour, but on a macro level too from months to years to decades to lifetime. So uh, when you kind of look at that from more of a an objective standpoint of like you're not fighting your body, like, okay, yeah, I feel like this because I had a bunch of shit last night. Like 
it's different. It's, it's just, it's a very small nuance, but it's different than saying like my body hates me because ultimately that, that doesn't give you any power. Right. Yeah. So like you say, your body reacts to the things that you do, the things that you ingest and all that kind of stuff. And so there is that relationship where you act, where the, the idea of you acts and then your body reacts. But the, the, the problem being that when you add these kind of terms that humanize body parts, there seems to be this inherent moral attachment to mm. what's happening. And so it's, 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 it's not kind of detrimental to your progress. It's kind of, it's, it's morally bad as it were, like I'm a bad person for eating the cake or this, that, and the other. And then like you say, it alleviates you of, uh, accountability. There, there, there is this weird thing. It seems, I mean, I, I wouldn't know how to explain it, but like where, Whenever this kind, this this idea of inherent moral values comes in, where there were this idea of like good and bad, it kind of we kind of separate ourselves almost from the, 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 like being in that moment of the choices, and you know it, it, it's strange, but I, yeah, I I understand I understand what you mean. So, is this something that you have worked with people on? Like, have you worked with people on getting out of that kind of Mindset yeah, I was... think just being aware of it and being very like very intentional about when like if people are going to say those types of things for me, I, I try to stop. I try to nip it in the bud because I, I want to make people aware of that because it's about giving the person like you, we have so much power in any given moment. And it's just called choice. It really is like it, like choices are ultimate, you know, superhero power and like uh, our only kryptonite is indecision. Right, like our, our our ability to not be able to choose or to can't decide, but we have so many choices in any given moment. Um, so I think reminding people of that too is like you have a choice how you talk to yourself, you have a choice how you frame the story you're talking about, and um, you know, like we kind of talked about before, is like when you're saying like my body hates me, really you're you're saying that you hate you, hmm. right? Like you don't feel that about yourself, like or else you would make better decisions. Maybe if you don't know how to make better decisions, that's one thing, but if you do know how to make better decisions and you didn't, then there's a disconnect there. And whether it's not just living in the moment or a perpetual pattern of not being able to treat yourself uh, the way you, you want to, you really, truly want to be treated, um, it's all the same. And I think uh, a mechanism that I notice a lot is when people try to personify metabolic processes in their body. Hmm. You know, um, I, think, uh, I think it's a slippery slope to go down because then you start looking at the world like that and you, and then all of a sudden you don't have any power, you don't have any choice because now your body's choosing for you, but really your body's just responding to the conscious choices that you are making as a person. Yeah. And, and so I think there's probably more interesting space to, to navigate here as well on that note. Cause you, you, sure. you know, you talk about the body responds and, and, and you no, know, you, so you say like, there's, you know, we are, our superpower is our choice and like we have our, you know, ability to choose in these situations and, uh, you know, I, I would agree with that, but I feel like there's also maybe there needs to be attention paid to, I guess, the other side of that. And I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to saying that we have no free will, although there's plenty of people within neuroscience that would argue there's no evidence for it. The, the you know, like we've said before, and you actually, I remember seeing one of your posts that had a quote about, you know, we're all programmed. How much do we code? Like, how much do you code? Like, we all have a lot of different inherent subconscious systems and biases and different and different things that have been created and influenced by all these different things. So, I mean, is, is, is some of this maybe a case of, you know, you have a choice in the sense of we have free will, but you might not have as much choice as that 
kind of that quote or that idea suggests mm. like you can't just choose like anything because each person has more of a pull towards certain things right if if you're like you said before you have to you have to know someone's history so if if your history is you know i've been eating sugar for more sugar than i should have done for six months uh, and i've put on 10 pounds or whatever it is you know like that that changing you know your 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 uh i guess the the number of choices that you can make or your ability to make a, a good choice in that situation would be more i would say than someone that has i don't know been eating terribly for like 10 years or has been drinking every night for five years or right because their 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 body has adapted to certain things and craves different things mm. and so you know their everything about their experience their perspective their bodily sensations their sense of awareness and and all of that stuff is kind of geared and and leveled towards some of that so it is a really weird situation because like you say you 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 don't you'd never want to just kind of be like you know it wasn't your choice it's not your fault type thing but then i feel like the narrative of you know is this is just it's just a case of is this is your choice make a good choice I don't know if that's particularly mm-hmm. helpful or particularly safe mm-hmm. necessarily when we're being honest about it. And I think that comes, that, that feeds into a lot of different things. I've, I've, um, I've actually kind of, I feel like I've adapted that now I've said it from an argument that was made about, um, you know, kind of dealing with things like racism and stuff. Like if we don't, if we don't understand and accept that there are, you know biological systems that lean us towards certain behaviors and these systems Mm. are entirely amoral and have no purpose that we could understand on a human level like if we don't understand some of that we like we don't have the tools to kind of deal with it properly because then it's just something else that just kind of happens we can't educate people on it we can't kind of do anything with it i mean i know that that's not what you were saying in terms of it's just your choice make a choice like do better i I mean do you have any thoughts on that little ramble and i mean do you agree with the idea of sure yeah where do you i guess where do you sit on that idea of how much choice does someone have in this kind of situation yeah stop me from talking no that's (laughs) no uh, i i just liked hearing it It was it was it was uh, was really interesting because i you know in the first part you talked about like the idea of free will and like i think it's um i think uh i think it's pretty daunting too to like to really take that on because you're right like so much of what we do and how we are, how we react or how we manipulate our environment is based off of genetics, epigenetics, uh, meaning or what happened to you while you were being carried in your mother. And, um, you have things like, uh, you know, your gut flora is responsible for a ton of, uh, neurotransmitters that you make in your brain. So the bacteria in your gut actually make, uh, chemicals that your brain uses and this affects your behavior. So there's a whole host of things um, that can totally affect your behavior. And because of that, I'm always, I'm of the opinion that you should be very choosy about things in your life that you do have control over. So I mean, we were talking about this earlier, uh, before the podcast started, but something as simple as like not exposing yourself to, to commercials, right? Uh, it's a, some, for me, that's what I've been doing for a very, very long time. Is like, if there's a commercial, I don't watch TV, but if, um, I try, I try to just stay away from commercials. If I'm, um, if I'm watching YouTube, I try to skip it. If not, I just put it on mute until it's over. Like, I just don't want those ideas in my head because I do know that, uh, you know, things can creep into your unconscious. And then all of a sudden you have a really faulty way of looking at the world because a certain ideal was repeated to you, whether it's something 
like racism or it's something like how relationships are supposed to work between two people or anything like that or any kind of narcissistic tendencies that uh, our culture likes to breed and, and sell to us so that they can profit more. Like all these types of things certainly affect your 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 lens of what you look through the world with. But I, I, I'm more – and it's so daunting that it's almost like – I don't want to say it's, it's irrelevant, but it's so daunting that it's like where do you even begin? And where I want to begin is like what do you have control over? And so if it's something as subtle as just like taking ownership of your choices, that's it. Like you're like I'm having sugar because I want to have sugar. Like and I'm going to feel bad because I'm, I'm making this decision. Like that is to me is ultimately more useful than my body hates me because I had sugar. Mm, okay. You know what I mean? So it's like making that distinction of, of just – taking ownership of your choices. And again, like in one, in one moment, there are thousands of choices you can make. Like just in your head, think about everything you could do right now in this moment, the craziest stuff you could do or the most simplest stuff you could do. You have access to that and you mm -hmm. could do that at any time. Right. I mean, you could punch a hole in your wall. You can go right now. Uh, you can cancel the podcast. You can make a sandwich. <laughs> yeah. You could like take somebody's money. Like there's so many things that you could do in any given moment. That's what I mean. But that's our superpower. Like, so I, I focus more on the, um, the vastness of our choices more than how much choice you really have, if that makes sense. Right. Cause I know free will is not a hundred percent on us. I have no idea what the percentage is, but I do know we can make choices. We are conscious enough to make real time choices and whether or not those choices are, I mean, ultimately it's about having a happier, more connected life. Right. Right. You yeah. know, so uh, you just want to make choices that are going to lead to that. I think. Yeah. M my feeling with the free will thing as well, I, well, I just kind of piggybacked on something Ricky Gervais said, and I feel, cause I feel like it just doesn't really matter cause it feels like I have free will. So for all intents and purposes, <laughs> I, I may as well. Um, but yeah, no, that, that, that totally makes sense. I, yeah, I agree. I, ultimately, accountability gives you the the power to choose how you would deal with any given situation if nothing else i think that's i mean that I, I yeah it's kind of like what the victor frankel says in his and his book yeah okay so let's... yes and i think i also think that like um you know it depends who we're talking about and and what we share but i find a lot of the issues that i try to help people with for the most part it, it's just a result of us not living in accordance with what our bodies really need, like from an evolutionary perspective, you know, enough mm -hmm. movement, enough sunlight, enough communal connection, community, like um, all these different types of things, these biological urges, mm. like most of that is, is we just, the people I deal with, I know this goes across the world, but the people I deal with typically suffer from, you know, uh, what's it, affluenza, you know, they, there's too much affluence around here. There's, it's, food is really easy to get. There's no natural predators. Water is running freely. Um, and now people are, are developing like crazy allergies or they're having these psychosomatic responses because there's not enough actual real stress for them and for their, their little chimpanzee instincts, their little survival instincts that we have in our brains that say, Hey, there's a threat here. You need to run. Like there's no threats around. So then you just start making up shit to get worried about or different coping mechanisms. And I can keep rambling on about it, but I feel like that is also a lot of what the people I deal with particularly is that they they just don't have enough challenge in their life. And some of that is just a choice. So you can find challenge in a, in a workout or you can find challenge in a hike or an uncomfortable conversation that you know you need to have. It's, it's, tr it's trying to get people to not shy away from challenge. Mm. Yeah. So would you, keeping it broader than talking in terms of sort of broader society, I guess, um, would, would you see 
more do you think it would be better for more challenge to be inherent in day-to-day life i mean because obviously a lot of the reason that i mean i'm not i don't disagree with you but a lot of the reason that we don't have a lot of these different kind of threats and things is because we found ways to eliminate them and we are now prosperous as a species kind of because of it right and a lot of people when they hear these kind of what you might term as like a naturalist argument is like it is sort of like well you know you you know we're living to these ripe old ages you know we've got access to all these different things i mean just the the number of diseases that we have been able to stop and the amount of suffering that we we have we have been able to stop because of technological advances and i guess in some senses moving away from these evolutionary habits but then i would say there's maybe an argument to be made that there is no moving away from evolutionary habits right like there's no there's no it's sort of it's almost hard to think what something would how something would be unnatural right in terms of like Mm. where did you get it It, it's come from somewhere within within nature (laughs) the universe you repurposed (laughs) it and you know if we build something is it unnatural given that we're from nature Mm. and blah 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 so i I mean yeah when yeah i think when you if i mean we're talking sort of metaphorically here neither of us are reshaping society but if if we were (laughs) would you like would you see more challenge put back into daily life or is this just simply something that is like do we need to just raise people's awareness of the fact that we live in an awesome position and counterintuitively that is actually doing us quite a lot of harm physically Mm. you know i think um I can't remember who said it. I, um, I remember hearing this like 10 years ago, but he, he basically said that uh, uh, we live in a zoo. We live in a really fancy zoo. I think he was talking, talking about people in, in more of like first world societies, but it's like, we, we you know, um, if you think about it too, it's like eventually we probably will uh, bypass or uh, overcome the, a lot of our biological needs, but I just don't think it's going to happen in, in our lifetime. You know, and I think if we're going to have these bodies, we might as well just try to make the most of it, right? Because it gets down to that why, right? So if the why is be connected, uh, find your flow, like find that flow state or find whatever connects you to your life, whether it's guitar or it's training people or it's making great food or it's like, you know, connecting people. There's so many different ways to do it, but find that. And, and the more healthier your body is, the more you're going to be able to connect to that because you're going to have this great antenna. That's, that's what I look at the body. It's just this antenna to experience life with, right? So I think um, in the meantime, before we all become like, you know, in some artificial reality or, or whatever, where we don't need bodies, we, we, should, we might as well like just be aware of what our bodies require and, and, and move along, you know, and adjust accordingly. I, I just think um, for the most part, a lot of people, even though we have so much connection, uh, a lot of people feel disconnected. And, mm-hmm. you know, that I... It's almost like, I mean, it's absurd when you think about it, like exercise, even though it's my career and it pays my bills and allows me to, to, you know, to do a lot of things. It is something that we made up. It's something that we supplemented to, you know, to, to the, for the fact that we're not probably living like how we're designed or how we were evolved to live. We, we sit still, you know, or we, we sit for eight hours, 10 hours a day. I think, I think I read somewhere that the average American gets less than 4,000 steps a day. That's ridiculous. I mean, that means you're not walking. You're not walking for an hour cumulative throughout the day. You know, mm-hmm. you get up from your bed, you brush your teeth, maybe you mosey around your apartment for a little bit or whatever, and then you go to your car and then you drive to your job and then you drive, uh, you walk from the parking lot to your job and you sit all day and then you, you know, reverse the process. It's like you're not walking enough. Yeah. And so I think it's ridiculous 
that we're trying to invent these like crazy, you know, drugs or, or medical solutions, you know, to overcome this when a lot of it is like nobody's like really talking about changing lifestyle. Like you have all like, and there's um, by no means am I a, a, uh, um, a kidney specialist or anything like that, but something like type two diabetes for the most part is, has become like more of a, uh, a disease of, of choices. It's, 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 a it's, it's from an affluence of carbohydrates and, and insulin resistance. And it, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is just, uh, too much abundance of, of food, hmm. right. Of the, of the wrong types of food and poorly made food. So rather than like most of the research is spent on coming up with these very like intricate and uh, complex drugs to combat the problem. But the, one of the easiest ways to combat the problem, um, and you have to go check with your physician about this, but, uh, and there's a lot of people that have written about this, is to do some fasting, right? And so rather than like, it's just to withstand or withhold from food or be able to maybe go to a ketogenic type, uh, a ketogenic type diet, but that's very simple. It's very choice-based, Right. But most people, most of our society, because we have to profit, is making and spending all this money in research on coming up with drugs so that you can still keep the lifestyle you want, but be able to take this pill that will be able to maybe hold off or stave off some of the uh, the uh, effects of type 2 diabetes rather than most of it is just a a, um, a choice. Right. And most of it is like what you're eating. And it's very complex. Uh, I'm by no means a um, a, uh, a medical doctor when it comes to that, but just from what I read and, and how I understand it, a, uh, a lot of the diseases and the metabolic diseases we have are from uh, poor food quality, too much food, not enough movement, not enough sunlight, poor sleep. And like all these things are within our control. Now you don't have to be someone who's well versed on nutrition to make better n- nutritional choices. But I, I think uh, to what your point was earlier, a lot of where our society is heading is, is kind of curbing uh, it's not fixing the choices. It's just trying to give you more of a buffer so you can continue to make shitty choices. I think it's different now because it's we're having to add an activity in. So, like, we, you know, again, we mm-hmm. talked about there's no, you know, we're not really moving much and we're not, and, and realistically, that's by design. Like, we have created systems to not have to go and hunt, to not have mm-hmm. to go and gather in the same kind of manner or as as Katie Bowman would put it, we've outsourced movement at least because someone else is moving to go and collect all that shit and do this, that and the other. But mm, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, um, it's yeah, it's it's interesting because, well, to go back to something you were talking about earlier, it's I feel like it's maybe not necessarily that we've kind of created exercise and fitness because I feel like that would go back all the way to like, you know, ancient war times and stuff, right? People would do certain things to try and get stronger. And I, I feel like we probably, we, it's industri- it's been industrialized just with the rise of, well, the, in- the industrial period and then just, you know, capitalism in, in general. And I think, yeah, just sort of the style of, uh, of our economy and stuff like that kind of influences, mm-hmm. you know, where attention goes and where research and things like that goes and, um yeah i think i I honestly feel feel like that separation again between sort of body and self and you know different uh, you know there's a lot like you say it's complex there's a lot that goes into it but yeah there's wait you know closing thought i think for that uh or not closing thought but something to add on to that is i think human beings uh we operate off momentum and it could be good momentum or it could be bad momentum okay can you you explain that a little bit 
Yeah, momentum is like as far as like going in the direction. Like you're you're born into a society, all right. You're here's what you do. Um, great. From the ages of like you know six to eighteen, you're gonna you're gonna sit for eight hours a day, and you're gonna learn all of these subjects, and and then this is what everybody else is doing, so this is what you're gonna keep doing. So it's almost like you're just born running, right? Mm-hmm. As as far as society is advancing, you're like okay, this is what we do. You're born great. Here's what you're doing: rock, roll, crawl. Great, you're six years old now. Now you're gonna be really, really stiff because that's what all all your neighbors are doing. They're they're all in grade school. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against education, but what I'm saying is that like we are very we operate off of momentum, and it could be good momentum or it could be bad momentum. It could be like, you know what? You've never learned about health. You just got through grade school, you went through college, and now you have a do- a job, and you're 38 years old. Uh, sometimes past your 38 years old, and you you have ignored your body because everybody else around you has ignored their body. So it's like we are subject to our neighbors. Like we, we move in like kind of communal forces. So if the herd is doing one thing, most of the herd like is going to do that one thing. Right. So we just have to change the direction of that. I think, uh, I think it's great that we have internet. I think it's great. We have running water. I think it's great that like, I don't have to worry about typhoid and dysentery for the most part, you know, like all these cool things that we have, we have, or even like a common cold. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, and I, I don't want to go back to that. I, I like, I like the zoo, you know, I like, I like, <laughs> I like all of it. Right. But I also understand that if I want to have like a healthy and vibrant body, because that's going to help me experience everything this life has to offer better, in my opinion, then I have, there's some things I have to do to maintain that, you know, move enough, uh, meaningful relationships or, um, uh, stay in tune with the sun, like the circadian rhythm good food, like just like some very basic things. And I think just getting people to be more aware of that. That's getting back to what we were talking about. It's just awareness because that's the power of meditation, you know, or, or, or something, a meditation practice is that you're able to be in the present. It's like a, it's like a bicep curl for your brain. You're like, Shoo, I'm going to come back to my breath. It's like, I'm, I'm just not me. I'm just, I'm in the moment right now. And I think that's what most people need because again, we operate off momentum. Um, we're going a certain direction. It's very hard a lot of times to stop. And, and change directions for most people. Right. Yeah. I think I think that makes sense. It's maybe the word momentum that threw me, but I, yeah, I like the concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there was something else that you brought up to me earlier that you. Uh, I feel like we've maybe touched on it a little bit, but there might be something you wanted to add. Um, this idea of like thought viruses and mm. these different kind of. I mean. Is, is this is this is this basically tied just the same sort of thing that's tied into everything else that we've been talked about or like what are you what are you talking about when you say the thought viruses and why did you want to speak about it yeah I mean I can't I can't remember the uh, where I heard the term from um, my buddy was playing an audiobook last year when we were going to the beach and I was like the guy was he was you know he was dropping some some knowledge and he one of the things he talked about was thought viruses and I was like I really like that you know and that um, we talked we've already talked a lot about kind of what that would be but like my idea of it is just um, understanding how susceptible we are to programming, you know, going back to coding or okay. the subconscious and understanding that and like just being really picky about the inputs you you have in the life. So every like when you wake up, when I wake up, I try to decide like what do I want to expose myself to today, like as much as I can, right? Uh, the people I want to talk to, the people I want to work with, the podcasts I want to listen to, the food I want to eat the conversations I want to have as much as I can control. I try to all put that in the direction of, uh, learning more, becoming a better person, becoming more aware. And I think, um, too many people, I think, uh, get exposed to different things, whether it's any kind of 
facet of pop culture uh, that doesn't promote the best version of us. You know, it doesn't ask, it doesn't, anything that's not uh, making you more aware of your life and, and, and empowering you, I feel is, is probably to your detriment. So as best as you can, you know, stay clear of it because all those little things matter. Yeah. So, right? I mean, ultimately it's the, you know, it's remembering that the, the stuff that you see, the stuff that you experience, it sticks with you most, pretty much all of it to some extent, mm-hmm. whether you remember it or not. Like it's, and so it's, yeah, like it's, it's worth paying attention to some of those, those little details. Yeah. Um, okay. So keeping an eye on time a little bit, let's teeper down towards sure. the end of our, our little conversation. <laughs> so you obviously, like you say, you train a lot of different types of people, um, out in Baltimore. You also do a bit of online coaching as well. And you have mm-hmm. your, um, if your Instagram and things you help people out on, I mean, um, for, for people listening to this that are interested in the way you do things and, and would be interested in working with you to achieve their goals. Uh, what kind of stuff do you do like for people that aren't in Baltimore? Sure. So, um, uh, a lot of, uh, the requests I get are typically like something that's like a mobility based request or, or, or goals, I should say, or people that want to work on handstands, um, and I try to make it as personalized as I can without actually being there. So a lot of it is also like video assessments and, and, and individualized programming based on all the information I can get from that person and watching that person move through certain assessments and tweaking the program based on the videos they send me of their progress. So, uh, it's, uh, it's, it can always get better as I learn more, it'll, it'll get better. But, it, uh, my intent is to try to make it as personal as I can um, and still be able to give people the results they, they want, despite the fact that we may be three, 4,000 miles apart from each other. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So if I'm interested in, in working with you, where can I find out about the stuff that you do? Do you have yeah. websites and Facebooks and blogs and Instagrams and all kinds of different hit me with all your stuff? All, all the plugs. Yeah. Um, I, my, my, mainly I do three things, mostly through Instagram. Uh, you can find that at, at get chimpy G E T C H I M P Y. I also have a website is uh, uh, www. Um, and I do have a YouTube page as well. Get chimpy, but, uh, any of those three channels, you'll, you'll be able to, uh, reach me. Um, I'm always trying to post new stuff. I'm always trying to give people some value and, and, you know, make people, people aware of some issues that I've noticed and then also give them, uh, you know, steps of action, so to mm-hmm. speak, uh, ways to uh, overcome that. And um, it's been cool. I've met so many great people through Instagram, people like yourself. I met my wife through Instagram. Oh, uh, I, I met a, a lot of good friends through uh, through social media. So it is, it, you know, it does get a lot of flack, but I think it can be this, uh, this really cool opportunity to connect with people and also grow yourself as a person. So I'm always excited to meet new people and, and learn more. Yeah, man, definitely. I um, I can attest to that. I I started following Josh a few years ago, and you know, every time I've reached out to him, I commented, "You've uh, yeah, you've got back to me and stuff." So it's been uh, that's been cool. And 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 like you say, that's led us to that's led us to here. You know, I guess if mm-hmm. I sent you a message asking about something a couple of years ago and you didn't respond, I might have thought you were a dick and never invited <laughs> you on. But yeah, I uh, so. I feel like this is probably a nice little spot to bookend our conversation. Um, but this is, yeah, it's been really fascinating talking to you again. I'm glad we were able to to hook it back up again. And we have definitely got into some abstract philosophical stuff. So um, if you are still listening, 
congratulations you can have a, <laughs> um, you can have a, a pretend badge but yeah I, I really appreciate you uh taking some time out of your day to come on come on the show and have a chat with me man it's been it's been really good totally i think it's i think it's great um i you know uh i'm sure people were like i want to hear more training stuff so we'll probably have to go to a part three. Oh, dude yeah we'll definitely yeah, yeah. You'll, you'll you'll come back on again we're gonna have some repeat offenders yeah. of uh, well, was, and then we ever find that first episode the lost tapes <laughs> yeah that'll be an sometime. archive like 10 yeah, years down the line we'll yeah it back out awesome uh well, sh- thanks you uh thank you for having me man uh, i love the stuff you do i love um I love the way your your inner, uh, your podcasts are set up. I think it's just great to have genuine conversation. I, um, I a lot of what I know is from podcasts. You know, the way I look at the world is from just listening to different types of podcasts. And I think, um, even though it's been around for a while, I think it's a great medium. I think it's cool to like be able to create your own content, and if people can be with you while while they're doing other stuff. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate people like you be able to uh, have set up great conversations and then put them out to the masses. So, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you very much, man. It's been a pleasure having you on and thank you to everyone listening. We'll uh, we'll definitely be doing this one again.